Okay, friends, it's your friend Rob here, and I am in San Francisco today to interview Stephen Powell from Gustin for the Robcast. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Rob. And uh, I'm telling you, my friends, this one is, we're going to cover all sorts of interesting ground because, and if you haven't heard of Gustin, um, this is, there's so many different layers here to what you're doing, Stephen, that... Um, I'm going to start by saying I first heard of Gustin from my friend Glenn. Hi, Glenn, because he was wearing a Gustin shirt. And he was like, Rob, look at the shirt that Gustin made me. And I was like, Glenn, I like your shirt. And he's like, no, these guys are changing the game. Um, and that's when I first heard about Gustin. And I know a number of people I've interviewed um, for the Robcast, uh, the minimal- Minimalists and Joshua Becker, talking about living with less, and so many of you who listen uh, have expressed this awareness that we have too much crap, um, and we want less, and the higher quality things you have, they last longer and actually becomes better all the way around. Yeah, fewer better things. Fewer better things. And when you see what Gustin is doing with clothing, you'll realize quite quickly that we're not just talking about clothing, we're talking about all kinds of other things. So... um, you were working a normal job and you had this idea. Where does the story start with Gustin? Yeah. So this story starts uh, in 2011. I moved out from DC to San Francisco with my wife. And, and what's uh, her name? Her name's Stephanie. Stephanie. Yeah. All right. Hi, Stephanie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, got a job at a startup out here and uh, it was going really well. I uh, really liked my boss there, a guy named Josh Gustin. Um, and as we became friends, he told me about this kind of side project that he had. Uh, he'd started a clothing line and in business school, he taught himself how to make jeans. And so he had this line selling to boutiques. And so, you know, he would make a pair of jeans, sell to them for 80, 80 bucks. And then they would resell it to the customer for 205 to $269. And the more he told me about it, the crazier it sounded because it was a really great product, but to actually buy it, you'd have to spend a massive amount of money. And there, there were all these inefficiencies because he had to basically pre-make everything and so he was, you know, stuck with a bunch of these bets that he'd, he'd placed that weren't going to pay off. Um, so as he and I became better friends, I kind of tossed out this idea of like, let's have a one-time sale on Kickstarter, sell our stuff, your stuff, directly to the customers for 80 bucks and, you know, make a few thousand dollars. So your thought was this clothing, somebody would pay upper 200s in a store. Yeah. But we could sell the same thing, like really high quality, yep. for way, 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 way less. And make the same margin as a brand. Because a brand is spending all that money on advertising. Because the brand's only making the 80 bucks that the store pays them. They don't make the difference between the 80 and the 269. That's the store. <laughs> so this idea... That is unbelievable. Yeah, this idea came about in like April 2012. So you're, how old are you? You're 26? Yeah. Um, and it kind of evolved over the next eight months, um, before we launched our Kickstarter to let's actually use Kickstarter as a sustaining business model, which no one was doing at that point in time. So our goal was to be, you know, totally crowdsourced everything. So anything you buy from Gustin, um, wouldn't be made. So, you know, the shoes that you're wearing today, Rob, we envisioned one day we could make shoes like that. Uh, and instead of paying 400 bucks in a store, you'd buy them from us for 200 and you'd have to wait six or eight weeks. Amazing. Yeah. So you do your first Kickstarter. So we do Kickstarter in January 2013. 
Um, and our goal was to raise $20,000 to like see if this thing had legs. Um, and we knew nothing about Kickstarter, you know, PR, anything. And so we tell all of our friends, like, you know, everyone we know, Facebook blasts, like, this thing's going live January 7, 2013 at 6 a.m. Back at, like, first thing in the morning. Um, and so, that, you know, we wake up early that morning, press go. And by the time I get on the train to come into the city for work, uh, we've raised $5,000, which is a very good start. You know, we, we thought there was a 50% chance we could do 20000 over the whole time. Um, at around 11 a.m., um, I get a call from a writer from Esquire magazine who wants to do uh, a piece on us that day. And so that goes up a couple hours later. <laughs> and I'm at my job. Like, I'm t- stepping out to a conference room to be like, yeah, let me tell you about my denim brand and not talk about my job that's, like, in the other room. And so we closed that first day having raised $20,000. Um, but who? Just friends? No. It's We don't have that many friends. Right. Who has that many friends? <laughs> no. um, yeah, the first 40 people who backed it were friends and family. And then it kind of just took off on its own. Um, and people, I think, got excited about this idea of, you know, cutting out the middleman, um, super high quality made in America clothing. That they could... Because you're not going to make the jeans until everybody buys the fabric to make the jeans. Yeah, so they get a vote in what gets made. It's not just you know a creative genius at a brand deciding what's going to Who comes get down the mountain and is gonna... like, red corduroy this season. Exactly. And everybody's like, crap, I don't like red corduroy. But I have to buy it. It was like, if you want this made, then let's all have it made together. Exactly. And so then it's at 20000 then where does it go? Um. So the Kickstarter campaign was 33 days, uh, and at the end of those days, it closed at $449,654. And you remember that number because it's an amazing moment. Yes. Uh, yeah. It was crazy. Um, but it's you and your friend at this point. And we and had our jobs. $400,000. Yeah. And you have jobs. Full-time jobs. And you don't know anything about running a denim company other than making a pair of jeans for this thing. That's exactly right. Um yeah, I mean, those weeks and the, the few months to follow were some of the most intense of my life because we had these full-time jobs and then we've got this much bigger other full-time job of starting Gustin that was, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week on top of our, on top of our jobs. And uh, who actually designed the first pair of pants? So Josh designed them. Um, he designed kind of three different lines. Um, First couple ones were called one-off denim, and then in 2011 he launched the Gustin line, which basically are the same jeans that I'm wearing today. And um, so the original, how many pairs on the first round? Uh, Pre-Kickstarter or in Kickstarter? In Kickstarter. Kickstarter is about five thousand pairs. You know, Whoa. they're roughly a hundred dollars a pair. So. Whoa. And then what happens? And you get all those orders made and shipped. Yeah, which was tricky because the biggest production run we'd ever done before that was 300 pair. (laughs) So we came to the factory and we were like, you know, we told you we were going to be doing this thing. And you were like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then we had a 5,000 pair order for them. So so then um, we spent kind of February, March uh, getting ready to launch our own website and working on the Kickstarter orders. 
So at the very end of March, we started shipping out those first 5,000 pair. And April 1, 2013, we pressed go on wearegustin.com, our website. And uh, what do you say, like, I assume people come to you all the time with, I got this great idea involving the internet. It's going to change everything. What do you say to them? The, the internet is extremely difficult. I was just having a conversation with a friend uh, two days ago um, who wanted to start uh, a real estate business. It's really tricky to do things on the internet. Um, <laughs> That's a I mean, fascinating build first a, answer. That's a fascinating first answer. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, Josh and I sometimes you know, think about doing other things online, and, and they're really hard. Um, Getting people to a website is really difficult. Building a brand correctly is really difficult because it seems like, you know, it seems relatively simple. Um, you build a good website or you create a good product and the people will come, but it really takes so many more things. It takes, you know, the operations behind it. It takes support. Um, you know, we've got two guys here that are amazing at, you know, responding to every customer query. And that's always been um, yeah. one, of the, one of the big tenets of what we were doing. Yeah, um, there are a lot of pieces you have to get right to to do something. When uh, my friend Glenn told me about Gustin, then I go to the site. The first time I went to the site, there are rolls of fabric. There are pictures of rolls, and it, and it said like, "This is a whatever ounce Japanese selvage denim." Yes. You find a roll of fabric. Yeah, so we've got relationships with some of the best mills in well, the best mills in the world in Japan, Italy, and the U.S. And so they will send us these headers. Uh, I don't have any in this room, but that are literally just, you know, six inch by six inch swatches. And we've, you know, felt thousands of these. So we can say, this is going to make a good pair of jeans, or this is what our customers want. And so we photograph it. We write, you know, a few paragraphs and we put it out and say, so, like, yeah. we don't have a finished pair of pants for this yet because that would take another six weeks. And by then the mill will have sold out of that fabric. So we're putting it out for you right now you know, decide whether or not you want these. So that that's what so struck me is there was like pictures of rolls of fabric and we're going to make a shirt out of this fabric. Yes. Does anybody want a shirt made out of this fabric? No one really does this. And it will be incredibly high quality, made in America, killer, way, way, way less than a shirt of this sort of quality. And people, because when I saw it, I was like, it's brilliant because we intuitively know, like if someone goes to the mall, that there's some sort of kind of scam involved in the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or we may at least not have the details or the data. We just know uh, so I'm being sold something more than I'm being sold here. Yeah. yeah and I'm, you just cut all that out. The majority of what you go of what you're paying for when you're buying something in a store is the store, not the item that you're buying. So if you buy a two hundred dollar coat, yeah, I'm paying the rent. One hundred twenty dollars of rent employees, you know, the coffee they gave you when you walked in the door. <laughs> did you, did the idea seem obvious? It did, but it seemed very obvious to us, but everyone we told it to was like, that is a horrible idea. No, no one way. Will, yeah. Oh, everyone. Yeah. No way. Yeah. <laughs> like people who know stuff about business? Um. Friends and family were the people we were talking to originally. They were like, that is not going to work. Why did they say it? See, this is what I love in all of you beloved friends listening is something that's so successful and so great and so killer. You ask the people who actually started it, 
And they're like, no, nobody thought this was a good idea. Yeah. Was that discouraging? Did you believe them? Was it discouraging? Did you just blow them off? Were you like, ah, I, we know what we're doing I here. I pretty much just ignored them. Um, you know, I would. I remember specifically as I at a dinner party one time, and I was telling this guy um, about what we were about to launch, and he was like, I would never buy jeans online. And I was like, I don't have anything to say to that, but that's fine. You don't. You don't have to. Because you're sitting there talking with a guy about what you're pouring, yeah, sixty or eighty hours a week into, and he's like, "I would just never do that." Yeah, and that's fine. And we still get that sometimes. We get customers who are like, you know, I need to touch the item. I need to try it on in the store. And and for some people, that's what they need, and and they can take that route. Yeah. Okay. So 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 far, lesson number one: the internet is tricky. Lesson number two. A bunch of people thought it was a bad idea. Yes. Now, so then you start doing shirts, belts, yeah. mm-hmm. shoes, jackets. You just start making. Who has the ideas for all of this other stuff? I mean, it developed very organically. Our goal from the beginning was always to make everything that we wore on a daily basis. So, you know, the biggest thing, that, the most important item of a, of a man's wardrobe especially in a casual place like this, we think is a pair of jeans. So that's where we started. Yep. Next was a button-down shirt. Um, and then we slowly kind of branched out from there. Um, we don't do suits because we don't really wear, I, you know, I wear a suit to a wedding once yep. or twice a year. That's about it. Um, you know, but we kind of just travel down this path of like we want to make everything that we wear. And we've now kind of done that. We're, um, but then you've kept the operation it's still relatively small. I mean, I guess you don't have anything to compare to. Is there any other company? Because I know for a lot of people, they're on their path, but the amount of energy that's spent looking at this person, comparing to that person, looking over their shoulder, looking over the fence. Yeah. Who did you look at to sort of gauge how it's going? I think more, I mean, we've kind of ignored everyone. Um, <laughs> and it. Yes, I love it. It's hard in San Francisco because, um, you know, this is kind of the startup culture scene and everything. And one of the metrics that people always um, gauge success by is, is number of employees. And sure. so I oh, yeah. always ask this question. Like, I'll see friends after, you know, six months and they'll say, how many people are you up to now? And I'm like, same number we were at two years ago. Because we like keeping this team at, you know, five, six, seven people. It works really well for us. See, that's the, that's the really interesting thing is... So many of us, we were raised with scale up and to the right is always good. Yeah. More profit, more employees, more influence, m- more travel, more whatever it is, more is better. Yeah. And I sensed it the first time I came to your site, like, oh, wait, these guys are playing a different game. Yeah. This is not kill yourself in order to win some magical award. For awesomeness, this is have a life, like with integrity and, and balance and play and family and all that. Yeah, I could pick that up just from the site, but that is something that you. Where did you get that from? Because this startup culture here, I was at Google earlier today, mm-hmm. is of course you'd make it bigger and open offices around the world, right? And go for more and more and more and more employees and work harder and harder and harder. And have less and less of a life outside of work. Yeah. Of course you'd go that direction. Is that from family or background or something you saw early? I'm not sure exactly where that comes from. 
But we started making decisions um, early on that uh, that were kind of in that direction. Um, we considered raising money and we got term sheets from some investors. And Josh and I sat down and said, we don't, we don't want to be in business with these people. We really like being in business with each other and being accountable to each other. But we're going to dislike this more if we have to answer to someone on a you know, daily or weekly basis. So let's just build this company into you know, what it is that we want and what makes us happy. And you had specific conversations about that. We could take this investor's money, make this thing massiver, massiver, but you, it didn't feel right. It wasn't the right thing. Yeah, I mean, we kind of have like this perfect environment here. We've built our dream jobs and, you know, we can now come in here every day and do our dream jobs. Um, we thought we were going to kill that if we, if we compromised in these areas. Yeah, it's so interesting. So, um, so take us up to what now? Where do you go now? More stuff? More designs? More? What do you uh, have in mind? Gustin from here on? Yeah. Um, do you have talks like this? Do you have like, what's our five-year vision? Or do you have we, a big like whiteboard with arrows and <laughs> color-coded strategy? We try to do it. Um, we have to force ourselves to sit down and think more than about two weeks out. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we've got kind of a, a product list of, I would say we've got a four-month time plan. Um, you know, and it's a list of products that we're developing that we're excited to release. Um, and then, you know, in a couple months, we'll reevaluate. So things like we've made a bunch of wax canvas duffel bags and sold a bunch of those. But uh, I've always wanted to do like a really uh, nice all leather um, weekender kind of bag. And so, you know, I've spent kind of a couple years asking around, like, who's the best person to make these and didn't find a good answer until this year. But we just kind of. Where do you ask around? What? I don't even. I don't understand at all how things get made like this, and I'm fascinated by it. When you're thinking like we sh we need to make a good leather bag, yeah. Where do you? Where is that scene? Where you ask around? Yeah. So you end up meeting a lot of very interesting people in this industry. So um, you ask people who are kind of semi-related to the field um, that you're trying to to get into. So for this bag, for instance. Um, we've got this small shop that makes our boat shoes in Maine and they buy a bunch of leather from the Horween Tannery in Chicago. Um, and I figured there was some kind of synergy between the people who make bags and the people who make shoes cause they're, they're fairly similar even though they're mm -hmm. different products. Mm -hmm. So I was on a, I was talking to these, these, uh, hand sewn, uh, shoe manufacturers and I was like, Hey, do you guys know anyone who makes really good bags that would do? Uh, work for us like someone like you they're the perfect scale they've got you know seven or 15 sewers in their place in in maine um and they're like yeah we've got a really good friend um give him a call tell him i sent you i don't think he usually works with new clients but um we like you guys so i think i think that'll work and it ended up being the perfect partnership so you've been to the place in maine where they sew shoes i have not been to the place in maine where they sew shoes have you been to the place in chicago where the leather is the tannery? Yeah. I haven't been to the tannery. But you had to have had some sort of crash course in how shoes are stitched. Yes. To own a company that makes stitched shoes. Yes. Um, I didn't have to do the stitching. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> right. But, I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the nice things. Like, these guys are the experts. And we say, 
we want to do a boat shoe and we want to have this kind of silhouette and we want to have, um, you know, this look to it and these kind of leathers. And they can say, we can put that together because we've been doing nothing but boat shoes for 40 years. And do you test the stuff out? Yeah. Do you ever wear something at home when your wife is like, mm, no, sorry? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like a um, prototype? Yeah. So I'm colorblind. Um, oh, no way. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. So I'll bring shirts. Some you ho- own a clothing company and you're colorblind. Yes. So when <laughs> online, there are the photos and it's like, look at this rich, deep blue with whatever. I don't You don't that. know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's, I'm not the one who, who does that <laughs> language. Um, I've gotten into trouble so many times over the years with that. But You're colorblind. You really ought to go into the clothing business. Yes. It's perfect. And not listen to what anybody says on the front end. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell the difference between blue and indigo, but that's okay. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, blue and indigo, I wouldn't know what that difference is anyway. I think indigo has more red in it. But for you, that would be just a conceptual idea. Yes. That's like exactly right. Would say. <laughs> okay, so you've tried stuff on. So I bring stuff home sometimes, and Stephanie's like, that that does not look good on you. That's a That's a horrible shirt. And I'm like, no, I love this. And she's like, you can't, that color palette is not good for you. So that happens fairly frequently. Okay, with colors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you, do you know what people will r- respond to? Do you know, like if we make this, this will be great. Is that something that you just, is that a intuitive thing or do you have data? Like how do you figure out what to even suggest to people? I would say we kind of come at it from both sides. So we have a lot of customers who write in and say, hey, I'm looking for something like this. Would you guys ever consider making something like this? Um, you know, underwear we just launched um, a couple months ago and we'd gotten, I don't know, 200 emails over the last couple of years asking us to make underwear. So that's pretty easy, pretty straightforward. And then um, some things we just say, you know, we really want to make this kind of item. Um, my business partner, Josh, really wanted to figure out how to make leather jackets. Um, and that had always been kind of like a tr- grail or trophy item for him. And so he found the people in LA who make the best leather jackets and figured out what leathers to use and went through 10 rounds of sampling and made the perfect leather jacket. You really just keep making stuff and experimenting and exploring until it feels right. Mm-hmm. That's That's yeah. actually the magic secret behind it all yeah and sometimes it takes you know one iteration and you get the first one back and you're like this is perfect and sometimes sometimes you spend years sampling and say you know this factory can't do it for this reason or you know we have to find a new mill to make the fabric what's the most frustrating thing that took the longest to get right that we would all be like that can't be that hard to make crew neck sweatshirt took us Almost two years. Which develop. is like the thing people would think would be the most basic. Everyone makes one of those. Yeah. And why is it so hard to make something? See, this is what I find fascinating is when something is so classic yeah. and straightforward, but then you find out, or whatever it is, words, paragraphs, what yeah. I do, and then you find out how hard it was to make it look that straightforward. We had a hard time finding the right fabric um, because we wanted like a, you know, a pretty thick um, Heather Gray. And most of the places only do very thin, um, like sweatshirt fabrics, like loopback sweatshirt fabrics, French terries. Yeah. Um, so that was a big challenge. And then um, a couple of the factories were really expensive, um, such that like we couldn't release them. 
we couldn't release the items with their pricing. Mm-hmm. So that was tricky. We had to find one, you know, that could do the quality and the price. And then uh, a crew neck sweatshirt has a raglan sleeve. Do you know what that is? Mm-mm. That's where the seams... <laughs> this is good Go. pod we're doing here. This is what? <laughs> this is good podcasting. But the <laughs> I love it. Pointing to things? <laughs> yeah, pointing to things. Um, the arm runs all the way up to the collar. It doesn't have a shoulder seam. Uh-huh. Um, and those patterns are really tricky um, and notoriously hard to adjust. So we were trying to figure out how to adjust our raglan sleeve pattern without completely throwing off the neck hole or making a huge, you know, a bulbous shoulder or something like that. And it was harder than you would think. And all that work so that nobody would go, that's a weird looking shoulder. Yes. It's like all that work so that it just looks like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. Fascinating. Are you a patient person? I am. I think I'm, I think I'm generally pretty patient. Um, yeah, it, it's frustrating because it seems like you're just around the corner on these things really often. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. for two years we felt like, well, maybe next month we can really see sweatshirts. And the, just, the can kept getting kicked down the road. Fascinating. Um, have you found any peers in other areas that are doing similar things? Have you seen other companies where you thought, oh, wait, they're kind of doing what we're doing? I mean, pre-ordering and crowdfunding as a whole has picked up certainly a lot yeah. um, there was since a watch. we started. What was that watch? The Pebble. Pebble. Yeah, that was the big one. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd say the, the industry as a whole has picked up, but um, I don't know... But otherwise, what you're doing is there just aren't a lot of people doing what you're doing. Yeah, there are a couple other companies who've um, taken a model very similar to ours. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're literally just a handful of us doing doing it like this. Wow. It just feels to me like it's the, the future. Like, what did you say? Le- uh, less things, better quality or? Fewer, better things. Fewer, better things. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. Okay, so where Gustin? Yeah. Dot com. That's right. And people can see everything else. Anything else to know about what you're... And so there's a bags coming. There's more stuff coming. Perfect shoulders, head holes <laughs> on sweatshirts. Yeah, exactly. And this room we're in is all of the product that isn't already on its way somewhere. That's right. So you're just not sitting all this dead stuff. Right. Fast, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Everything comes into our shop and gets shipped out pretty much the same day. And it's that incredible. Well, thank you. Thank Thank you, you. everybody. That's a little bit of the future right there. Leaner, less, better. Gustin. (laughs) Thank you, Stephen. Thank you.